pride can come so easily. The righteousness of one's own actions. The claim to a throne. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When one believes they have a right to such, how can any convince them otherwise? An unstoppable force is set in motion, and in its way stands the immovable. An old dragon hobbles between, seeking to do the impossible. Can he mend the bond torn by pride? Or will violence and horror and tragedy follow unmitigated and consume all they touch like an unquenchable fire? Only the gods can tell. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar, who's not here today. Uh, Constance. Evening, everybody. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan. Hi, everybody. And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything, a world of ice and fire. And this is in this episode, we are talking about the eighth episode of House of the Dragon, Lord of the Tides. In this episode, it's absolutely loaded with Corliss Valarion has been gravely wounded, bringing forth once again matters of inheritance concerning Rhaenyra's second son, Lucerys, and his claim to the Driftwood throne. Vaemon Valerian is adamant his claim is greatest, while Rhaenys is also making a more subtle claim. The issue reaches a boiling point and must be contested back at King's Landing, which is currently being run by the Hightowers. Rhaenyra and Daemon are greeted by no one and make their way to the Crypt Keeper, a.k.a. King Viserys Targaryen, and introduce him to his grandchildren Viserys and Aegon. Yes, another Aegon. Meanwhile, Sir Eric, not Eric, informs Alicent of Aegon raping a serving girl. Allison meets the girl, pays her off, and gives her a potion, poison, moon tea, tears of lease. I'm not too, so like not totally sure. Uh, Jaceris and Lucerus see Aemon One Eye sparring with Sir Incel, and he's looking formidable. Rainey seemingly denies Rhaenyra's son's marriage proposals in exchange for her support, and with Vaemon being back by the High Towers, things are not looking so good for her. During the night, she returns to her father Viserys, bringing up the Song of Ice and Fire and pleading for her pleading for support if she should take on that burden. The next day, court is in session, and to everyone's surprise, Viserys strolls down to the throne aided by Daemon. He mentions how ridiculous this all is and leads the decision up to Rhaenys, who favors Lucerys and accepts Rhaenyra's marriage proposals. Vaemon is not having any of it, and at the slight nudge of Daemon, he calls Rhaenyra a whore and her children bastards, which causes his beheading via Daemon. Now it's dinner time and it's awkward as hell until Viserys makes an incredibly moving speech which seems to actually bring the family together. After Viserys goes to bed, Aemon ruins the mood by calling Rhaenyra's children strong and a face-off between Aemon and Daemon ends the night. Allison is tucking Viserys uh, into bed while deep in milk of the poppy and he mentions the Song of Ice and Fire and Aegon and Allison is misinterpreting all of it. Finally, we see Viserys on his own saying no more, and with a tear in his eye, he passes. 
Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Before we get into the episode, we're going to start with our segment, For the Love of Lore, where I'll be going over anything and anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of Ice and Fire. The council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about medicine and poisons. Uh, in the world of ice and fire, medicine comes up pretty frequently. Uh, people are always suffering from sickness. We've seen plagues. Uh, in the world of ice and fire, people are always getting hurt. And people getting poisoned is a pretty common uh, event. Uh, what kind of medicine is available very much depends on your social standing. Uh, nobles have a lot of mes- medicines already available. They also have maesters, who are some of the best healers in the world, and they have the maesters' uh, plethora of medicines at their will. Uh, some nobles have hired healers from all around Planetos, um, not including maesters, so they have like different healers and uh, witches and from all over like Essos, all over the Planetos. Uh, One of these examples would be Stannis. Um, When Shireen got grayscale, he kind of got healers from all over to come in and heal her. Um, And commoners are not so lucky. Uh, Commoners usually depend on woods witches, hedge wizards, uh, or just any local healer. And they have uh, much less of a choice of what they can use to heal them. Um, Some of the healing techniques and potions that we see in Westeros, Essos, uh, we see boiling wine and mirish fire, which is an ointment, are put on open wounds. Uh, We see maggots used on rotting flesh to eat the rot. We saw this with Viserys. It was absolutely disgusting. Uh, Stitches and poultices are applied by maesters. Uh, Leeches are used to drain blood for when blood builds up in a wound. Um, Dream wine we see puts people to sleep. Uh, King's copper is a medicinal herb. Uh, Sweet sleep is used to calm nerves and also puts some to to sleep, uh, but too much will kill you. Uh, And then we have moon tea, uh, which is brewed by maesters and wood witches. Um, It's brewed with tansy and pennyroyal, which are herbs, mint, wormwood, and a spoon of honey. Uh, These are used to prevent um, or abort pregnancies. Uh, They're usually safe, surprisingly, but there are some pretty bad side effects that can come from it. Um, It's usually used in secret by nobles, but also is used pretty frequently in brothels for obvious reasons. Um, And then some in the faith even consider using moon tea as murder. So pretty uh, hilarious how um, uh, art imitates (laughs) real life. Uh, And some examples of this are uh, Liza Tully was given moon tea um, when she was younger by Hoster Tully. Um, As we saw in the show recently, Diana was given moon tea. And we also saw Rhaenyra way back was given moon tea. And then we have Milk of the Poppy. Uh, That's arguably the most common medicine that we've personally seen in the show. Um, It's a thick white liquid that comes from the poppy flower where it gets its name. Uh, It's an opiate used for people in their deathbeds or just in serious pain. Um, It can be given to women after painful births and stillbirths, Um, people who are injured in battle, uh, someone like Bobby B after the boar. Uh, And then some people who are just sick, um, grayscale, people were given um, milk of the poppy a lot for grayscale. 
Uh, it's said to put people not in their right minds. It gives them something called poppy dreams, which we saw a little bit in the books. We usually see people have pretty intense dreams. Um, it's also pretty addictive. So just like real life, how drugs are, milk of the poppy is addictive. Um, sometimes it's mixed in wine to kind of take away the... Um, the nastiness of it um and some people just prefer not to take milk of the poppy due to the fact that it dulls the mind um we saw jamie refuse it with his hand and even in this past episode viserys even says he doesn't want it because of his mind and then on the other side of things we have poisons uh it's feared by commoners and nobles alike um some nobles even have a food drinker or taster um we also have it's also more common in essos uh, it's viewed as a dishonorable, debaucherous weapon used by bastards, cravens, eunuchs, and of course women, uh, usually administered in food and drink. Um, sometimes it's put on coins. We saw Arya do that in the books when she was with the um, House of Black and White. Uh, also on weapons, Oberyn Martell was famous for putting the manticore venom on his weapons. Uh, some of the known poisons out there, we have Widow's Blood, which shut down, which shuts down the bladder and the bowels until you die. Um, as just mentioned, manticore venom, um, it kills when it hits the heart, but sometimes it can be thickened to cause a longer death. Uh, Oberyn used this on the mountain. Uh, the Strangler closes the throat and windpipe and turns the face purple. We saw this with Joffrey. Uh, and then the Tears of Lys, uh, probably the coolest poison that we have in the whole of Planetos. Uh, it leaves absolutely no trace. There's no taste. There's like no scent to it. Um, and it eats away at the stomach and the bowels and it actually looks more like a disease than a poison. So even after you die, it's hard to know if Tears of Lease was actually used. Um, but it is confirmed that John Aaron was murdered by the Tears of Lease. Uh, so how do you guys feel about um, potions, medicines, all that, and the world of Vice and Fire? Morgan, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, so yeah, obviously a lot of these are based on real world medicines uh, and drugs and poisons and what have you. Like milk of the poppy is opium, right? It's opium tea. Um, and there's just all these different examples of how, yeah, the art is imitating real life. Um George, I know, went out of his way to leave out specific details of what's included in a lot of these things or to include fantasy world elements so as to not be including, you know, recipes for how to make poisons, such as moon tea. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's very clearly just taking what kinds of medicines were out there in the time period that we're replicating in the shows. What do you think, Constance? Well, I think it's good that they're addressing these issues because it's a rough life for a woman in that in Planetos. And sometimes you might just have a baby by someone you really don't want to have a baby by. And you don't have an option unless you use plan B. Uh, I remember in the books in the TV series, they accused Marjorie of taking moon tea. Marjorie Tyrell, which is proof yeah. that, and could you really blame her for not wanting to have Joffrey's baby? I mean, uh, Oh, Joffrey, that guy? That guy. Um, I, I find it amusing that they consider poison to be a woman's weapon. 
because most of the women that we know would just flat out shake a guy, right? I mean, we even saw Allison flat out go to murder Rhaenyra. Um, do I think they're using any poisons on Viserys? Maybe not. Uh, obviously, they're using milk of the poppy to, to dull the pain, which it looks like he's in considerable amount of pain considering he's hey, you know, missing an arm, missing an eye, missing part of his cheek. <laughs> so the guy must be in a lot of pain. So for him to do that whole segment where he forgoes the milk of the poppy so that he can have coherency, that was really beautiful and moving. But you know, we'll get into all that later. But no. Uzma, what do you think about all this stuff? Yeah, I think uh, more than women, uh, masters are the one who give, uh, who are in a position to deliver poison, uh, because uh, they can. Like for example, Master Paisal was the one who gave milk of the poppy to John Arryn, but it was uh, a poison was hidden in it. And I think something similar might have been happening with Viserys as well, because we see, uh, we see. Uh, Damon pick up the cup and sniff it out, but <clears throat> and uh, Rhaenyra tells uh, Damon uh, that th- she will bring her own master, Mister Gerardus, uh, to take a look at Viserys. So they are suspicious of some kind of poison, maybe being given to Viserys because his condition condition has worsened. And uh, as for the milk of the poppy. Uh, I think what Hostetelli did to Liza was really wrong. He never even told her about it, and she almost died because of that. He never even told her he was going to give her milk off the poppy, and she still hates him for it. It's understandable. And what are your thoughts about uh, Faith considering use of the moon tea as murder? Well, if it's a parallel to the Catholic Church, then yes, that makes perfect sense. And they used this as an excuse to uh, imprison Marjorie besides... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I thought those charges were trumped up, but you know me, I am House Tyrell, so... Yeah, a little bit of Cersei magic to get that going as well, which yeah. worked for her pretty great, as we saw, yeah. so... <laughs> All in her favor. Yeah. Also, uh, I think uh, for Diana, the way uh, she... Alison kept the moon tea at hand. Uh, is it just me, or... Uh, did you also get the feeling that this wasn't the first time it had happened? Like, uh, they had, uh, it must take some time to prepare the moon tea, right? And uh, they had it ready. Uh, they just brought it immediately, and Alicent wasn't shocked at all. Yeah, I got the feeling that Alicent was more upset that he did it to someone who was close to the family. Like, yeah. that she was already used to, she was like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I believe you. You, you, yeah. What you're saying, I, I know it's true. I'm gonna buy you off. Go away. She was fully prepared to handle it. She had money ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had didn't... the moon tea ready. When, she had when the moon tea to... ready. Yeah. Yeah, but she, um, but yeah, I think, I think she more was just re- like she really got angry because it was Diana. Yeah, and they even said, oh, where's, you know, where's Diana? She's supposed to help get the kids ready. And it's like, oh. Yeah, Allison's reaction of, like, hugging Helena, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. And do you guys think Diana is still alive? At the moment. I think so. I think so. For now. I mean, Aegon Aegon is the kind of person that would probably kill someone out of spite because he's that big of a jerk. 
we aren't doing any more time jumps, right? So I think no, I think sure. she, she could play a role again. She might appear again. And do I think she'll make it to the end if she appears again? Probably not. I think that was the point of Ty- Talia appearing in front of Missaria because uh, she told Missaria about that, what happened with Diana. So Missaria might use Diana for, or Damon might use her for something later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it makes no sense. Like if it was Cersei, Diana would have been long dead. <laughs> That's because Cersei's a stone-cold bitch and Alicent's not terrible. I think with Cersei, her kid would have killed the girl before she had a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Again, true. Joffrey. <laughs> yeah. Joffrey, unfortunately, doesn't drink enough to just let them leave. That's the yeah. that's the issue, yeah. But that was our love and lore of lore segment. All right, moving on, we have the dragons in the details, where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma. Okay, so the first thing we are going to discuss is the letter Bela sent to Damon. The letter read, Father, I write the news of Uncle Waymond, who this moment sails for King's Landing. He plans to apprise His Grace the King on matters of succession, rights, and the sanctity of blood. He wishes for the Driftwood throne to pass to him, that is his by rights, and that he is the only unattainted choice. Bela. I think it was really smart of Bela to immediately inform Damon because she knew Damon will be capable of handling this situation. What do you guys think about the, this letter, Constance? Well, I like the fact that they're using really old archaic words to the point where Uzma and I had to look up yeah. <laughs> what the definition was of a couple of these words so that we could and better understand the what the letter was saying and, and check the spelling. Uh, so I, I appreciate them using very archaic language to get across that this is not a modern day letter. I'm not sure if it's a G or a Z. <laughs> a prize? A praise? Uh, uh, I don't know. It looks like a Z to me. And we were like, what if Bela spelled wrong? <laughs> yeah. What if ba- I don't think Bela wrote it. I think a maester wrote it. And the maester yeah, just... Because would... spelling didn't have rules for many, many years. You just wrote things the way you thought they were spelled. Right? So... <laughs> That's my that's my take on that. But it was really smart of her to do this because she knew that um, this would endanger Luke's claim to the to the Driftwood yeah. throne and you know disrupt the, the the legitimacy of Rhaenyra's children. So for her to write to her father was pretty clever. And uh, uh, the main thing is, it feels like she didn't trust Waymond. Uh, she she was immediately uh, like stop him from doing this <laughs> and uh, is it just me or does this look like there are two papers like something is behind as well <laughs> can't tell it looks like the it could be like the the, the top of the paper is kind of bent over a little because you can see that towards the middle but uh so we're going to focus on our next aspect here, which is the redecorating that uh, the High Towers have done in the absence uh, and the illness of King Viserys. First and foremost, noticeable the seven-pointed star. 
that's showing up everywhere now. Here's a picture of the um, before the the, yeah. the council room, the small <laughs> council room before, and then here it is again with again the seven pointed star. She's found religion and she's found it hard. Maybe guilt. I don't know. Maybe the high towers just feel closer connection to the faith than the Targaryens, since the Targaryens kind of do their own thing. Um, but you can see that they've basically changed a lot of things to suit them more. And here's, this is the, obviously the shot of the throne room during Viserys' time and the seven pointed star, which was visible during Robert's reign. Um, so it, yeah, so you could see more information here about what that looked like during Even the during different During Aes's reign, there was during Aes's reign, yeah. But do you think it was Alicent who installed it, or was it Baylor the Blessed? Baylor, I'm I'm laying money that Baylor the Blessed put the put that there. But uh, it might be Alicent who wasn't done done decorating. <laughs> <laughs> no, she had more to do, huh? Um, but yeah, so the, the, the seven pointed star of the faith becomes more prominent in the latter years, but I'm going to blame Baylor the blessed for that because he was a total religious zealot. Uh, the other thing you can see is that there's a lot less of the sexy time tapestries on the wall. <laughs> uh, they've, they were everywhere. They're very common. And then later they decided that was, <laughs> you can't see them anymore. It was a little, little too crass for the high towers. Um, and the last detail is as part of their redecorating, They've completely neglected Viserys' room. They're leaving him there to die. I mean, the only people that, that deal with that model these days are the rats. It's completely coated in cobwebs and dust. No one's gone through and done anything to fix it in years, probably. Uh, and it so, might be even more harmful to Viserys' health. Uh, all that dust? And everything. Yeah, surely. All that dust just collecting there. But it just shows that the high towers were just waiting for him to die. And they were redecorating the castle before his body was even cold. So, not cool. That is so sad. He can't even have his model city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what do we have next? What are we doing and next? And then we have, uh, it seems like Rhaenyra is pregnant. In, in the first, uh, in the very first scene uh, where Damon meets Rhaenyra, he touches her stomach. And you can see uh, that she, it's pretty obvious she is pregnant. And in three separate scenes, Rhaenyra touches her stomach. The first scene is when she is in Viserys' room with Damon. You can see her touching uh, her stomach before Alicent arrives and after that in the throne room when they are ha having the debate she touches her stomach and after the feast after the fight she touches her stomach so it's pretty obvious that Rhaenyra is pregnant and we can't reveal who it will be <laughs> but you just have to find out <laughs> and then we have a new small council what do we have here, Constance? Uh, so, yeah. So, again, the high towers are switching things up. They've got Tyland Lannister as the master of ships, since, you know, they're obviously at odds with Corlys, and Corlys is kind of doing his own thing. You've got Jasper Wilde as the new master of laws, since Strong is dead. Uh, you have a new Grand Maester that's Orwell. And then you have old Lyman Beesbury, who's the master of coins. And I think he was there before. I think he's the only person that's carried over on the small council, right? Yeah, he's the only one yeah. 
Yeah, and then you, Harold Westerling is still alive. He's the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. He's still there. The hand is still sitting in his special little seat. Do you think everyone has their seats fixed? Because when uh, Corliss was master of master of ships, he was sitting in his in the same chair Tylen Lannister is sitting, and uh, Master of Laws is sitting. It's where Strong is sitting. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think that makes sense. It's kind of like this is that chair for that appointment, so they go where they're belonging. Uh, and it's just kind of tradition that the Master of Ships sits at this spot and the Master of Coins sits at that spot. So I think they're just carrying over traditional, this is where your seat goes, kind of stuff. And when Renira joined it, she uh, sat next to the yeah. hand. Yeah. And that side of the table's open too, so there's plenty of space for additional people. Uh, there is one person that's not here, but I think that's a spoiler. We may get into that later. Yeah, uh, if not this season, next season for sure, we'll see another we, edition. Uh, we can mention the position, the Master of Whispers. Yeah, there's no Master of Whispers, but there there should be. We'll see that probably next season if we don't see anything about it next episode. Another so. thing I want to point out was uh, how everyone was, except Lyman Beesbury, how everyone was just sucking up to the high towers. Like he was the only one opposing uh, them or raising any points. And everyone was like... Please shut up. <laughs> well, think of it this way, right? Jasper Wilde was put into place by Otto. Tyland Lannister was put into place by Otto. The or- Orwell, being a maester, is connected to Old Town, which is connected to the High Towers. <laughs> so they all are very biased towards the Greens because that's who butters their bread. That's where they I got think, their jobs uh, from. I think Tyland Lannister was there before. But he might have uh, a crudge against the Targaryens or maybe Rhaenyra because she rejected Jason. <laughs> well, Jason, Jason had it coming. But yeah, so let's let's take a look at our next one, which is a little more dramatic here, I'd say. Yeah, it's everyone's reaction to Damon <laughs> cutting, uh, killing Damon Velaryon. You can see uh, Aegon's uh, face. Uh, he's Looks like he is in disgust and he looked away. But uh, as we can see, uh, just look at Helena, whose reaction I found really funny. (laughs) She's closing her ears. (laughs) There wasn't even any sound. And uh, everyone is looking away except Amund. But (laughs) she closed her ears. (laughs) Why do you think she did so? (laughs) I think, well, she's, some people say she's a dreamer. Other people think she may be on the autism spectrum. Could be both. I think she did it because she knew that the noise in the hall was going to become overwhelming. Like, just the murmur, the sound of the sword through. Yeah. I think that's why she As did. a PTSD person, I'm going to voice a thing saying, yeah, the she's likely expecting to be in sensory overload any moment now. Mm-hmm. And her eyes, she can close on their own. Her ears, she needs to hold her hands over to protect them. Um... Right now, she's looking around to maintain security. She's looking around to know where where things are, but she's preparing to shut down. Her reaction was the only thing I didn't understand. Uh, thank you for explaining that. And um, as we can see, uh, Amund is uh, quite bold. He's the uh, he's the only one who is not looking away. Like even we, uh, at least I couldn't look at uh, his face when he was cut down, uh, but. Um, 
you can see him uh, Eamon is cheering and then he looks at uh, Damon and I really love the way it feels like Eamon respects Damon just uh, look at him the way he looks at Damon like he is thinking badass <laughs> that's the feeling I got and uh, after the fight uh, even Alison couldn't stop Eamon and after uh, Damon made the kids back down uh, he was like so uh, what are you uh, going to do now and Eamon was like this guy can kill me and he just walks out <laughs> I love this uh, interaction between them just by their looks and then uh, Damon laughs <laughs> and looks at Rhaenyra what did you make of this interaction, Constance? Oh, I think that uh, they have a begrudging respect for each other. They're very similar characters, like personality-wise, right? I mean, to the point where you'd think that Amund was more like Damon <laughs> than, than uh, the daughters are. I mean, it's like this could be his son, but we know it's not, obviously. So, You know, uh, it's not, but there are theories going around <laughs> that it's, po it's possible. <laughs> That it's, that that's uh, Damon and Alicent got it on. Okay, I, I don't see that. I don't see that happening between the two of them. But it would explain that a lot. <laughs> they are like exact copy of each other. They are. They are, and even the hairstyles are extremely similar. So and their maybe, personalities. Yeah, maybe he looks up to his uncle and wants to be like him. Yeah, that would make sense. He seemed really impressed in the th yeah. throne room. Kylo Ren, Darth Vader. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I want to be like you, Grandpa. Just like my grand my uncle. Yeah, I honestly, I wanted to say something on that. Is that, like, Damon seems to have a lot of reasons behind what's going on, and he's not always very clear. Um, and uh, Aemond seems to be just kind of enjoying the chaos a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree, because Damon acted like that when he was younger. He kind of seemed to enjoy stirring the pot, but his motivations were always to protect my brother, to protect the realm. To protect uh, the city. protect the city, yeah. he's yeah. He's got a very protective nature for somebody who's as chaotic as he is, but Amund is just a shit. I mean, they're all shits. All <laughs> of all of Allison's children are little assholes. Uh, but Amund is no different in this case. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the last thing we want to talk, well, one of the other things we're going to talk about is the costuming as usual. Uh, so let's focus first on Allison's dress and her, she's very green. Everything Allison does is green now because she's fully embraced that she's a high tower. She's never going to be part of the Targaryens. She knows that she doesn't care much for the Targaryen culture. Uh, so she is embracing the faith of the seven as a way to express herself and her in her own thoughts. You know, she's very self-righteous. Uh, she believes that she's always done the right thing, whether it's because of the faith or because of family, because of duty. Alicent always sees herself as being upright and moral. Uh, and so for her to embrace the faith doesn't surprise me very much at all. Uh, what she's wearing is a green dress with like a velvet collar, but it's high-necked. She's not wearing pretty dresses anymore. She's not wearing anything that shows skin. She's not wearing anything that is revealing. She's wearing clothing that suits her. It's very practical. It's functional, yet still elegant. Uh, lots of gold accent. She's got a very large seven-pointed star that she's wearing. And this is the equivalent, again, of wearing a very big crucifix uh, to show that you're devoted to a, your religion. 
but it's almost big to the point of being gaudy, which is not surprising because, you know, she's the queen, so she could get away with whatever she wants. Uh, fashion. She's the one that sets the fashion, so she chooses to do this. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a, she, and she wears a smaller seven pointed star when she's at dinner. So she's very much in, in at home in her faith and she's reflecting that in her dress and what she's doing to King's Landing. She's cleaning up the mess that the Targaryens have left uh, with all of their sinful ways. Uh, can I chip in? Sure. I think she's uh, just faking it. Like uh, she's saying that she's following the faith, but she's doing the opposite of that. She says, uh, like uh, there are some principles of the faith, and she's doing uh, exactly the opposite of that. For example, uh, using uh, the use of the moon tea, the faith considers it murder, but she's giving uh, Diana the moon tea. Uh, similarly, she says father is just and that she will sit in judgment and even uh, uses uses it to threaten Rhaenyra. And after that, she uh, like makes a side deal with Waymon that I will support you and uh, in return, uh, they will get the support of the Valerians. So she is not as good as she is pretending to be. <laughs> Claiming to be a loyal member of the faith, it's not the same thing as pretending to be good. Um, she is fitting in with all the religious zealots I've ever met. She's doing all the same things. Everything is about appearances and maintaining the status because it's not really about what you do. Because if you show yourself to be devout, you'll be forgiven. Yeah, I, I think that she does have a level of hypocrisy, but she thinks that she's doing right and she thinks that she's justified in what she does. And again, that, that ties into also her religious faith yeah, that, that is so very strong that she can't do anything wrong because she's acting on behalf of the Seven. So let's take a look at Rhaenyra because she's got an interesting style about her for this time. The costume that Rhaenyra is wearing throughout most of this episode, uh, there's a, a red dress that she's wearing earlier, but throughout the rest of it, she's wearing a beautiful black brocade dress with this gorgeous embroidery across the top that um, is very reminiscent of the jacket that King Viserys has been wearing throughout most of the series with uh, the black with the gold and red with a kind of a dragon pattern coming across the shoulders from one side to the other. And... Uh, a bit of embroidery right at the the stomacher right because the dress is split for her because she's pregnant but it's very reminiscent of the of the backing of the jacket that Viserys wears so this dress is supposed to invoke the I am queen I am dressing like the king in a style and a color similar to the king's she's reminding everyone at court I am the heir through her dress because she resembles the king um so that's the the way that she's try. It's a very subtle power play to remind everyone of who she is. Since she's been gone for what three years, two three years by now, since we yeah. last saw her. It was uh, was it three years or six years? Oh no, it's not been six because the babies, because the two yeah. the two children are still babies. So it's only been a couple of years uh, since since they left since they got married. So, uh, but yes. I believe it's been four years. Four years? Okay. Yeah, I thought there were like three maybe, so that four years would make sense. Yeah, so she's been gone from court, so she needs to 
pretty much pull some strings and remind people visually of who she is and what her role is. So by dressing just like the king in the exact same color and style, it's invoking that visual memory. It, uh, this uh, the embroidery on the uh, right side, it kind of gives the illusion of a dragon flying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what it's supposed to invoke is a dragon flying. Yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful beadwork too. I mean, they really went all out on the details on that that dress. But uh, oh yeah, little de little things, a few more little tiny things we picked out of the episode. Uh, do you want to go for this one, Uzma? Yeah, the book uh, that Joffrey was reading. Uh, when you zoom in on it, you can see a picture of the red cape. So uh, it seems like uh, he's getting a history lesson. Is it Red Keep or River Run? Uh, because I just noticed there is something blue, blue. below. Yeah, it kind of feels, looks like it could be River Run too, or it's the Red Keep. <laughs> I don't think it's don't think it's red enough to be the Red Keep. Uh, I it do think it is. A, it could be. It could be a history book. It could be like this was the Aegon Fort. We can't really make out the writing that's on the page because it's the too blue color far could away. Be water. Could be water. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a beautiful little book. I mean, it's nicely illustrated, and it's kind of sweet to see Joffrey again because you know the poor kid was was so tiny yeah. when he was born. Jace so. is learning to be uh, like uh, this has kind of become uh, their study room. <laughs> Jace yeah. is learning Valerian, and he's studying history. <laughs> yeah, Kane gave me the 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 Latin Latin grammar classes kind <laughs> of invoked there, which is the whole point. So, uh, and then we've got one more thing, right? Yeah, the dining room. There is a beautiful tapestry, uh, or is that a painting? I think it's a tapestry, of the Red Keep behind Viserys. And you could tell because there's there's the city, and then you've got the castle high up on the hill. So it's just a and really we, pretty detail. We discussed that in our New Rain trailer discussion. So mm -hmm. if you yeah. haven't uh, listened to that episode, make sure to check it out. Yeah, you've got that tapestry in the background of that. And I think that's it for us, right? That's all for the Dragons in the Detail series. Back to you, Sam. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. Uh, Morgan, I believe you have questions for us. Time for my tyranny. Um, oh no, the tyranny, no. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, as per the usual when I ask this question, you have to pick one or the other. Do not pick both, or I will torment you. 
because I'm a tormentor. Um, what is your favorite character or moment? I'm going to start with... I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first. Fine. <laughs> I'm going to start with Constance. I want to say this because I'm pretty sure it ranks high on everybody's favorite moments. When the crown falls off of Viserys' head and Damon so very tenderly picks it up and puts it back on. There's no emotion. There's no judgment. It's just pure brotherly love. And the fact that that was purely unscripted makes it so much better right that was not in the script that happened it fell off patty constantine's head and matt smith picked it up and put it back without blinking an eye such a beautiful moment and so heartbreaking to see what's happened to viserys that he has to get out of bed and get dressed and put his mask on and put his crown on and walk all that way to deal with all this shit that's being stirred up it was beautiful so that's my moment i wanted to get to that before either uzma or sam could steal it from me <laughs> uh-huh. speaking of which go ahead sam Ooh. uh okay i'm not gonna pick any of the viserys moments because they were all awesome i'm gonna go with something different so i'm gonna go with the stare down between damon and uh, and or sorry, Damon and Amond, just be just because, I, uh, just it's like it's like what the immovable force or what is it? I got nothing. Unstoppable force. Unstoppable force. Unmovable object. object. Yes, that was immovable in, force makes no sense. That was in my speech <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> that was my second favorite. <laughs> yeah, that was like my. Fa- I love that scene just because I was kind of sitting there just like ooh. And, you know, of course, like, Eamon's like, not today, sir. Not today. But, yeah, I, I really like that. And I, it was, yeah, that was probably my favorite, my favorite part. Uzma? So, I, I've watched this episode multiple times, and my views changed with every watch. But the first time I watched it, it was definitely Viserys' walk just to the throne room. I couldn't believe, I just couldn't stop crying in that uh, scene. Like, I... Just before that scene, you could hear his cries, like how much in pain he was, how much he was suffering. And despite all that, he decided to help Rhaenyra one last time. Uh, Because everyone knows that Viserys is the only shield she has. Without Viserys, if Viserys hadn't shown up, we all know what would have happened. Just You can just see from the faces of... uh, Otto, Alicent, and Waymond. Uh, the looks they uh, that crosses between their faces. Uh, they all look shocked like, oh shit, our plan <laughs> just went down that drain. <laughs> the minute he shows up. And he like, he calls them out like immediately too. He gets on that throne and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Pretty much. And just yeah. immediately. It's just so good. I just couldn't stop crying i it i was so emotional i had to watch several other series just to get it out of my head (laughs) so i could rewatch it and take notes for the podcast (laughs) i just loved it what about you constance Uh, sorry uh morgan yes morgan's turn uh for me it was it was just the fact that damon chopped half his head off (laughs) <laughs> and 
stood there be like, yeah, he committed treason. It's done. <laughs> like, judge, jury, executioner. No, no need for the king's judgment. No need for anybody to do anything. No need to even hear the man out. Just, nope, done. And everybody just kind of stares and moves on <laughs> because what are they going to do about it? <laughs> I mean, even the king was pissed, right? I mean, Viserys was reaching for his blade. He's like, I'll have your tongue. And I'm like, yeah, no, keep, keep it. Yeah, but even just such a glib line, right? And it's just like, what is anybody gonna do about it? Viserys can't be like, well, I wanted him to die my way. Damn it! <laughs> but it was a uh, treason. He has like, uh, he just uh, spoke against the king. Yeah, he was going to die anyway. <laughs> Yeah, he was trying. He was not only trying to invalidate the six. He was claiming he was trying to invalidate the succession, but he was also, in effect, invalidating the succession for the whole realm and not just his home. Which brings us into my next question, which is: Give me your opinions on Vaiman's petition and how Rainey's handled it. I'm gonna go straight to Constance since she wants to be first. Oh, not this time. <laughs> I know, you made a face, so I picked you. <laughs> Tyrant! Um, I think that he had a very valid claim. It was pretty clear that those were not his nephews, right? And Corliss was keeping up appearances despite the fact that everybody and their brother knew that those weren't his grandkids. But he couldn't say anything about it without bringing total dishonor onto his family. So for the family line through, again, the bloodline of the Valarians to pass to Vaymond would have been a sensible answer. That or give I it to the girls. <laughs> give it to the daughters, right? They could have given it to either of the girls as their birthright since they're not part of the Takarian family. And that could have solved it as well. But I, I think that he went about it in the wrong way, but he had every right to do so. I'll just uh, say what I said in the last episode. Where's the proof? <laughs> like, <laughs> there Let's is no see, proof you've got there. two white-haired people, two white-haired <laughs> people having dark-haired babies. Skin color not, uh, notwithstanding. White people, black people, dark-haired babies. When everybody else has white hair. And then you saw Damon and, and <laughs> Rhaenyra's kids. They had white hair. So, I mean, that's that's the proof. Is the, the, the seed is strong. And the seed in that case was strong. Mm -hmm. And I'm quoting Aaron, John Aaron when I say that. So, But there have been cases of people uh, like I've seen real people. Oh, in of real course. Life, genetics doesn't work like that. But their child is really oh, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. Genetics doesn't work like that, especially in Westeros. I mean, but that's their that's their story. That's their proof is that, look, they had dark haired <laughs> babies. They should have had white haired babies. So. But the baby had the father's nose. I'm just saying. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, the he did have Lainor's <laughs> nose. I think the, the king was willing. The king's sword is the law. <laughs> yeah, the king is the only thing that stopped everybody from from saying anything because nobody wanted to piss off the king. But the king's dead. Long live the queen? Question mark. So, 
um, yeah, so that's that's my take. I think I think he was in the right, but in the wrong at the same time. All right, Uzma. I think he was in the wrong because uh, I think uh, his claim that he was doing it was uh, for just the family was bullshit. He was uh, doing it for his own um, ambitions because even if we assume uh, like. Even if, let's say, uh, Rhaenyra's kids are bastards, but uh, if they marry uh, Lena's daughters, eventually uh, the Valerian b- bloodline would have sat on the uh, on the Driftwood throne. So uh, it wasn't like uh, the uh, Driftwood throne was just going to the Strongs and there will be no Valerian sitting. Uh, there will be eventually Valerian blood. Uh, Valerian kids sitting on the Driftwood throne. I'm. A, I'm a point out. He didn't know about that one discussion just wanted to point that out so he wouldn't have known what that that was an option but he did find out after uh, Rhaenys, uh announced it and even after that uh, he chose to insult and disobey his vows and uh, insult the king he swore and uh he swore to follow uh, Corlys's wishes, like to obey and serve. But he went against the wishes of his lord. And then he went ahead and insulted the king and the, the heir to the throne. It was treason. He deserved what he got. And uh, I loved how Rhaenys just, the moment Viserys showed up, she just changed her mind. She was going to speak for herself. She wasn't going to uh, support Rhaenyra. But when she saw Viserys, she knew he will support Rhaenyra. And she (laughs) just changed her uh, tune. And what are your thoughts, Sam? Um, I think, like, I think that Vayman's, like, uh, I think he... I think he was te- thinking that he was doing it for the family. I don't think there was much ambition there. Just because in during uh, Lena's funeral, he mentions blood a lot and he mentions Valerian, Valerian blood a lot. So I think that he actually thought he was like he was like keeping the bloodline like like in the house or whatever. But I I think that his claim, I feel I think that actually Rainey's claim was actually better. Not necessarily as her taking over, but in the sense that like she would be like the pseudo pseudo lady lord like that we've seen plenty of times in other houses and her granddaughters should have been the ones taking over like Constance said just cuz i i'm i'm pretty sure in succession it would go the daughter or the granddaughters before the brother i'm not entirely sure about that but because they were still in that line i think that they would take over the driftwood throne in a really you know maze-like way down the family tree so i think that his claim is still less than rainy's but i think that his intentions i don't know if i want to say good intentions but i think his intentions were i want to keep it with the valarians if that makes sense i just want to interrupt here for a quick shout out to my friends that play blood of the dragon this is the meadows war waiting to happen does it pass through the matrilineal line or does it pass to the brother's son <laughs> y'all know this is coming so that's just a shout out to my uh, my gamer friends there what about you morgan yeah yeah so uh i will say that if i'm unless i'm mistaken at this point in history valerians have already interbred with the targaryens and therefore no matter who the father is, 
they have Valerian blood. Oh, on Rhaenyra's side. Yes. Yeah. Rhaenyra has Valerian blood. They're all cousins. Everybody is related. <laughs> all of this was about the personal gain. And at most, I could say exactly. that it was about the amount of blood that each, each individual might have had. Sure, she had less Valerian blood than her husband. Sure, the kids have less Valerian blood than her. However, they all had Valerian blood, and he did not care about that one wick. He kept talking about how it was the blood that mattered, the blood that mattered, and that the name wasn't what's important, and bastards shouldn't be he held in the same esteem. Except that the father recognized the children right he recognized them that actually makes their claim legitimate automatically even bastards if you recognize them as the parent are considered and give them your name are considered in full recognition now of course all and Corliss wanted wanted him to be the heir yes now yeah, I'll grant Corliss was pretty clear about that I'll grant that they might pretend and say, oh, well, uh, daddy didn't know that it wasn't his kids. No, he knew. Everybody knows he knew. He wasn't a fool, and he still accepted those kids. So, Vaymond is just full of bullshit and was just trying to get his own power. Just saying. He really did not care. And did he even have any kids to pass the line through past him we don't know i don't think we have i don't think we've heard anything about a wife or kids for him yeah i don't remember if that's a thing in the books either i don't think it is i don't think there's any reference to whether he had any successors in line so even if he had taken it there wasn't a guarantee he'd ever have a successor who wasn't the people who he was disinheriting so i'm just putting it out there that he really was not in it for preserving the family line and maintaining the legacy, but in it for himself. So there's my rant. All right. Next question. There are some stark differences, get it, uh, between the children of Rhaenyra and of Alicent. Thank you. Uh, what are they, and why do you believe they came about? I'm going to start with Sam, because he laughed. No, no. <laughs> um... I guess I feel like I mean it's Aegon and Aemon are both just like shit stirrers they love to stir the pot and just like they're basic I feel like they kind of they're um entitled to their positions they're like they view themselves more as royalty than I think like Luke and, and Jace do Luke and Jace I think are, are almost like growing up a little less like I am royalty, I'm taking over this. Like, we saw Jace was like, I need to learn uh, Valyrian. Like, that is a, a duty of mine that I need to know this. And, like, then you have, like, Aegon, who all he's talking about is, like, getting drunk and sleeping with Jace's soon-to-be wife. Or, like, like we saw earlier, he raped the serving girl. Like, he thinks that King's Landing is his playground and he can do whatever he wants. Like we said earlier, Aemon is just there for the chaos 
and Luke and Jace are basically like, it seems like they're taking their duties a little more seriously. They even question themselves a lot due to them knowing. I think that they know that they're both strongs. And I think that they that knowing this makes them a little more tiptoey around like they probably shouldn't just treat everything like nothing. So I, I think it's I think it's a version of like you've got the entitled side with um, Aegon and Aemon, and then you have the other side that's like a little bit they care about their position more because they know that they might not have it because of what people are saying about their parentage. That was a very long winded way of saying that. But uh, Uzma, how about you? There are many stark differences. There are many obvious things. So I want to point out a very subtle detail that I noticed. Uh, when Viserys took off his mask during the feast and when he was giving his speech, uh, they uh, showed uh, ca- the camera showed on the faces of uh, Jace and Aegon. The difference was uh, Ag- Jace was looking sad, but he was also looking lovingly at uh, Viserys. But uh, when they showed Aegon, he was uh, he felt disgusted. Like uh, he couldn't look at Viserys's face. He was looking away, uh, and the way he was looking at it, like he. I didn't feel any love uh, for his father. Uh, he was just felt disgusted, and that really hit me. Like uh, wow. Uh, how much nice uh, Jace was. Uh, like, he really loved uh, Viserys. It just felt like that. And besides that, uh, as uh, Sam has mentioned, uh, you can see how uh, they were uh, uh, preparing to be king. Like, uh, if Aegon is going to be king, he is all about what he gets from it. And uh, Jace is about the responsibilities. Like, it's my duty, it's my responsibility. And with Aegon, he, he doesn't care about his responsibility, his duty, duties at all. And you can just see the difference because of the upbringing. Like, we can see uh, Alicent hitting, slapping Aegon just because of a little prank uh, he pulled on his brother. And uh, I, I can't even picture Rhaenyra slapping one of her kids. Like, she raised them with love and care. And Alicent, uh, she hits uh, Aegon in every scene we see them together (laughs) so uh, you can see uh, the difference uh, between how kids can turn out like she uh, raised them with uh, by feeling poisons in their ears she has been saying uh, like you have to be careful that's why people say you have to be careful around what you say around your kids uh, because they can hear and catch up. She has been spilling poisons, and that poison reached her kids, and it affected how they became. What do you think, Morrigan? I think uh, a big factor, like you were saying, there's entitlement, right? So these, the ones with the name Targaryen versus the ones with the name Valerian, right? The The Targaryens are being told time and again that this is theirs by rights and that it is being taken away from them by bastards, right? This is basically the Baratheons all over again, right? The, they are being told that it is their right to be the king or and the king's brother and that they 
that they are being cheated. There is no trust. All they know is that the world is full of liars and cheats and thieves. And they are out for themselves because what difference does it make when the world doesn't trust them and when they don't trust anyone else? On the flip side, the Valerians know that they're, they're in a precarious position. They know that their mother is in a precarious position. And they care about survival and respect. Because that's the only way they're going to get through this. They don't think someone's stealing from them. They think, I'm not even sure I deserve this so if it's going to be given to me I'd better earn it and I think that's a big difference and yeah it is entitlement uh, at the core of it but it's also what is the lesson that each mother is teaching because Rainey's is teaching you need to do this because we have to we don't have a choice. We can't step away. If we do, it's all over. And Alicent is teaching, we have to take what's ours or else. No matter what, the ends justify the means. And that's what I see in them. What are your thoughts, Constance? Well, there's really not much left to say. I think the three of you covered the issues pretty well as to why the two groups are so disparate uh but i am going to invoke solar and auto hightower fuck that guy because <laughs> this all could be traced back to auto right auto poisoning allison against rhaenyra against rhaenyra's kids auto being the one that's like this is our legacy. We need to protect our legacy at all costs. You've got the motivation to play the game now. Let's let's play the game and make our grandkids kings. Make my grandson king. Uh, so, and his views against Rhaenyra have been poisoning Alicent, who wasn't always that way. She didn't always see Rhaenyra in that light. And she was willing to forgive Rhaenyra. I mean, it, it was clear during the toasts that the two of them gave that had the boy, the Targaryen boys, as, as Morgan has dubbed them, had they not opened their big fat fucking mouths, there could have been peace. It would have been tenebrous, but there would have been peace. And Rhaenyra and Alicent would have made up and, you know, forgiven each other for the, for the slights. But I think that that was completely shattered as soon as the king left, because the kids will have none of it. And they've been raised with that sense of entitlement, as we've said to think that we're better than they are because we are the king's blood. We aren't the bastard's blood. And so in the, the immortal words of the witch from into the woods, careful, the tales you tell children will listen. Exactly. And they heard everything that Allison said. That was everything that Otto said. So, I would just like to add in, I don't think it would have mattered even if the children hadn't fought. Because even if they would have, uh, even if they had made up, the second Otto will say, betray Rhaenyra, Alicent would do it. 
Well, she I think has Allison, been putting Otto's orders. And now Allison has, you know, well, she's already got this religious justification for what I'm doing is right. And now she has what she thinks is Viserys' blessing to make Aegon king. Because she's misinterpreting what he's saying about the prophecy and Aegon the Conqueror and the dagger and all of that to mean your son, our son, Aegon, is the prince that was promised, as in his original vision, make him king. So I think that even if there could have been peace between the two of them after the banquet, I think that really pushed Alicent over the edge, regardless of what Otto may have said. Because at that point, it solidified in her thinking what she's getting into. I'm getting into the next question, aren't I? I'm jumping ahead, aren't I, Morgan? Uh, might as well jump right into it, and I'm going to start with you because of it. Uh, okay. Pick a character and tell us what you think their driving motivations are currently. Okay. Go ahead, Constance. So on that, t- <laughs> all right. So since I'm on this, since I'm on this topic, Allison now firmly believes that she is not only guided by the gods, but she is fulfilling her husband's dying wish. She is acting on the side of the male line, which is the established dynasty that was decided at the Great Council at Harrenhal that it goes through a man's line. So that's already clucked to her brain. Otto's been pushing her to make her grandson king ever since she married Viserys. So that's locked in her brain. And now she has Viserys' dying words, which she has taken to mean, make my son, our son, the next king. So she's got everything pushing her to feel that she is 100% in the right to take away Rhaenyra's birthright because she has the justification on too many fronts. She can do no wrong. She is fulfilling the will of the king, the will of the gods. So she's going to act with total righteousness going forward, no matter what she and Allison or she and Rhaenyra may have had in the past. So, uh, Sam, what do you, what whose motivations are you thinking about? Um, I'm probably thinking of Rhaenyra's. I think, like, I think uh, Rhaenyra's motivations. She's like. She obviously doesn't, I think it's pretty obvious she doesn't really want to be queen. There's sometimes I think that she might want to be queen, but there are a lot of, like, the way that she just kind of has always lived, it kind of seems like she just wants to enjoy herself and not have to worry about this song of ice and fire that has been uh, burdened on her. And I, I think it's like, you know, that, that uh, what she's saying to Viserys when Viserys is just, like, laying there on his deathbed and... She's sitting there just being like, look, if you're going to give me this burden, like, you got to, like, give me something, like, help me out. And it's like, you can tell she's like, I don't want this burden. This is so, like, annoying. She probably just wants to go back to Dragonstone at this point. She's with, like, Damon at this point. So I feel like she's, like, probably enjoying things a lot more than she was when she was living in King's Landing. So I think her motivations are, I have to do this because of the Song of Ice and Fire, but damn, she wishes she could have that uh, Negroni with the Prosecco in it and just, like, not do anything else. So, yeah. Uzma, what about you? You picked up my character. (laughs) I was was also going to pick Rhaenyra. (laughs) Okay, I'll just add to it. Um, I think Rhaenyra never wanted to be uh, the heir or the queen in the first place because uh, in the very uh, beginning of the episode... 
she was like Damon should be the heir. She always, uh, even when she went to meet Damon, uh, it always felt like she wanted Damon to be the heir, and uh, she never really believed uh, that uh, Viserys would pick her. So uh, she never uh, really thought about it. But it was like a duty. Uh, she kind of reminds me of Stannis in this. Like she never wanted this, but now that she has been given the responsibility, uh, now that she knows the importance of it, she will do it for the realm. Uh, she will do it. So I think that's uh, her motivation. Uh, and now she is thinking, what if uh, we could? I could have lived peacefully. I could have lived without all these doubts and uh, all this fear if uh, only I hadn't been heir. So that's what I got from her scene with Viserys when she was crying. Like, uh, I never wanted this. If she hadn't had this, uh, sh I think she is thinking she could have lived a happy life with Damon. But uh, she also knows the importance of what's coming, uh, of Aegon's dream and everything. So she knows she can't afford to just leave it to uh, the Alis uh, like Alicent and the Greens. Uh, everyone knows how Aegon is and... I don't think she feels he is the right person to like to give something such a to give uh, such an impar important task to him. So even though she doesn't want it, she is doing the uh, she she is doing what needed to be done. Uh, done. What do you think, Morgan? I think I'm gonna go with Damon. Damon is has the same motivation that he's had from the beginning, in my opinion. It's just a little more apparent these days, which is protect the family. Everything he's doing is to protect the family. Everything he's doing is to preserve the family. The crown falls and he puts it back on his brother's head. He doesn't want to sit the Iron Throne and he never did. It wasn't about being king. It was about protecting the family. And sure, he never really thought his brother was a good king. And he probably would have tried to sit the throne just to preserve the family in that way. If he had to become the head of the family to keep it safe, he would have. But now he doesn't have to. Now he's seeing other options. Now... He's married, his wife has children, there are people growing up, and he wants to protect that family. Everything he's doing is to that end. The thing is, that Allison's children, while they're still technically his family, he doesn't recognize them. They weren't raised by his brother, even if his brother was around. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't actually raising these children. They are not his heirs. I think that's what we're seeing with Damon is Damon goads Vaymond into calling the children bastards so he can end this quickly. It's not about gore or blood or bloodlust. It's about resolving it in the fastest, most efficient way possible 
while preserving the family that he wants to protect. I think that's where he's always been. I think it was also a warning to uh, others. Like, see what happens if you say a bad thing about my wife. <laughs> also known as fuck around and find out. Right, which has been Damon's general strategy from the beginning. Even in the first episode, oh, here's a murderer. Let me execute him myself. Right? Everything yeah. Damon has done has been fuck around and find out. And don't fuck with my family. Damon fuck around and find out Targaryen. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> All right. That was my last question. That concludes this segment. Back to you, Sam. Awesome. Thank you, Morgan. And for our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls about the War of Ice and Fire, and questions and comments from you, the listeners. All you, Uzma and Constance. All right. So let's start with the trivia. This one should be easy. What is Damon's middle name? <laughs> if you don't answer this question, then you really weren't paying any attention to this entire podcast. So uh, that's that's our trivia for this week. Uh, we haven't had anyone enter. So the lovely Maester ranks have not gone up and the beautiful handmade bookmarks that I sewed are still unclaimed. So if you want them, send in your answers. There's plenty and plenty of episodes for you to listen and get those Maester links questions answered. So, Uzma, what did we have for our poll? You said that it had some great numbers this week. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I posted the poll as usual on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. On Twitter, uh, the poll for this week is, what was the most tear-jerking uh, moment in episode 8? And uh, because uh, I considered Damon's scene uh, with Viserys' walk, I didn't add that here but uh, out of the four options uh, i did provide viserys's walk to the throne won uh, the most votes with 65.8 percent votes on twitter and on youtube we have again viserys uh, walk down the throne room with 74 percent and on facebook with 181 votes, we have Viserys' walk down the throne room. <laughs> so we know what's the obvious winner is, which is 61% uh, of the votes here. And uh, another option that was added by Vishnu was Damon helping Viserys, uh, which is the next, uh, which got uh, the second largest votes, uh, which is Damon helping Viserys up the Iron Throne. So what do you guys think? What was the most tear-jerking moment for you guys? Oh, I already said Damon helping Viserys, but I would lump that in with Viserys walking to the throne room. I'd say that's all one segment. And it's really a shame we didn't have Solar to discuss that scene with us tonight, because I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what he would have picked. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say Damon helping Viserys was just such a beautiful moment. It was such a beautiful love between the brothers, but I already talked about that, so... What about you, Morgan? I concur. <laughs> I got nothing to add on it. It really is. That's that's the moment. And uh, Sam? Oh, I go. I went back and forth a little bit because I. I mean, the the walking down the throne room was just like 
It was awesome. It was just so good. But I really the I think more tear jerking for me was I think his death scene. I like I thought it was like I think that he like you know he passed thinking that he like you know had a good dinner with the family, brought the family together, and like his little la- his last just like no more like you know he's done being in pain and the little tear dropping from his eye and then he finally passes. Yeah. I think that that was so yeah, good and like Patty Constantine was. So good as Viserys. I mean, holy shit. Emmy. Yeah, please. Emmy. And I mean, I think that I think I read a thing recently that said that George even contacted him and said that you did Viserys yeah. better than my Viserys. And I was like, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, I I, I think it yeah. was just ugh, so good. It was really amazing. George messaged him yeah. and said your version was better than mine. Yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful that when when you embody an author's character to the point where the author goes, hey, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, where it's were like you when ending... I was writing this book? <laughs> yeah, so so that was really nicely done. Exactly, but. when I read the books, I, I really didn't like Viserys. But after watching this, you can't help but love Viserys for what he did in this episode. <laughs> yeah, very sympathetic. I I still don't love Viserys. <laughs> oh, the tyrant doesn't love Viserys. Why? No. Okay, why's that? Why's that? <laughs> because yeah. of what he did to his wife. I'm sorry, and he everything oh, uh, he did in this episode was too little, too late. That should have been our family words. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, he I, had good intentions at the end, but it was at the end. He he let oh, a yeah. lot happen before that. So that I, I don't really feel bad for him. That's fair. No, all the memes about him being reunited with his love, Emma. It's like, oh, come on. Did you forget what he did to her? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't. I don't. Oh, yeah. You're so right. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like the first four episodes of this show. And I'm like, oh, God, he was so dumb back then. I mean, he uh, was dumb the whole time. Yeah. The whole time. <laughs> like he really believed that that speech was actually going to unite the family. <laughs> just saying i had hope i had hope I'm, yes but did uh, you was... believe no no it's it's game of thrones no one's gonna have a ha- that was like two hap. we got two happy moments out of this season which is phenomenal we got the the the, the happy ending for Lanor, and then we had yeah. the happy moment of music and dance at the feast when everyone's smiling and laughing and it's like this is so nice how is this gonna go wrong yeah you could even <laughs> say that uh Viserys's death was actually like kind of a nice thing too like that he's one of the few people that actually like you know died in his sleep and wasn't just like brutally murdered, murdered or savagely attacked or set on fire or poisoned or whatever you want to say yeah, yeah he died yeah. in his sleep right after he accidentally told his wife to murder his daughter <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> great job, Viserys. Yeah. I think it was um, Alison's fault. She wants to believe uh, that he wants Aegon on the throne because there was a lot of things he said, and she only picked out a couple of lines uh, she that she wants wanted. to be true. Like she yeah. completely ignored the North, the stuff about the North, the uh, uh, that he said you asked me this question before, or that, uh, or about ice and fire. She ignored most of it and just picked Aegon, and you need to do do this. <laughs> so I think it's Alicent who is to blame here. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm still Team Black. 
<laughs> Team Black. What about you, Sam and Morgan? Team Black. Sam? I mean, <laughs> I want to I wanna sit on the fence a little bit. I don't know. I'm definitely like... <laughs> still when, early. Whenever we, like, I mean, when the show started, like, after reading the books, like, how, you know, it's hard to not be Team Black. But I think the show has done a great job of making me have a little more empathy and sympathy for Team Green as well. So, like... Do I lean towards Team Black? Sure, because they also are the cooler characters. But I am definitely a little sympathetic towards Team Green. Oh, I'm sympathetic. <laughs> I just think that in the end, Team Black still has the better story overall. I mean, they're definitely the cooler characters. I, I like. I'm not. I mean, yeah. besides like Amon, but like, yeah, they all they are the cooler characters. So. All right. Well, then let's finish off our segment like we usually do. Ready? One. Two, three. Who's, Who's that, that dragon? <laughs> good. We're running low on dragons, uh, which is unfortunate, <laughs> but we don't want to go into spoiler territory. And a lot of the dragons that we could talk to you about, most of their actions going to be in seasons two through four. So, in order to avoid spoilers, we're going to do shorter shorter ones and we may have to recycle dragons try to give you some new fun information about them but uh this dragon is similar to sea smoke in color it was a pale gray with lighter accents in the wings it was a wild dragon that lived on the eastern side of the dragon volcano and would often raid fishermen for its food so it was a seafood lover uh it was rare and elusive which led to its name the age unknown so we don't know when it hatched or by which dragon it had no master, no rider, and it ever will. Uh, this dragon will die before he allows himself to be tamed and claimed. Today's dragon is the Grey Ghost. And with that, that's our show. Sam, take us home. Awesome. Thank you, Constance. That is our episode. Follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at Ice and Fire Party. And email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Massive thank you to our producer and Lord Protector of Editing, Jordan Reynolds, for editing and putting the episode together. Be sure to check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings for the Ring of Power series. This Saturday, they'll be releasing a hot take of the final Ring of Power episode. And on Sunday, a big live stream at 1130 a.m. Pacific time in collaboration with Fellowship of Fans featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, custom food and drink, recipes made by yours truly, liquor and lore. People can call in, participate live, and the stream will then be posted on their podcast a few days later. So pour yourself a pint and check that out. We also have our, pi- our pals at Watch Party Will of Time uh, who are taking a little hiatus but recently did put an episode out of New York Comic Con. Um, but please check their, ep- check their episodes out. There's 41 to enjoy, 42 now. Um, This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you so much for joining us. We are your host, Solar, who is out today. Constance. Here we stand. Uzma. Milamogulis. Morgan. And here we fall. (laughs) And myself, Sam. Valar Morgulis.